Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber Internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from the Herald Times, featuring coverage of local news, entertainment, and sports. In print at heraldtimesonline.com and on your mobile device. And from the Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org. Hello and welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Sarah Whitmire. Joe Wren is joining me this week as co-host, but Bob Zaltzberg will be back next week. Today we're talking about Pride Month, just wrapped up. During Pride Month, it's common to see brands put out special edition rainbow merchandise or alter their logo. While some see this as an effort to support a historically marginalized community, Others say the companies are motivated mostly by marketing. For example, last year, Adidas was criticized for selling Pride-themed athletic gear during June while simultaneously sponsoring the Men's World Cup in Russia, which has laws discriminating against the LGBTQ community. Our guests today are Chris Hanberg. He's executive director of Indie Pride Incorporated. Janine, Janae Cummings, she's the chair of Bloomington Pride. And then we have John Mills, who's the director of external communications for Cummins. Thank you all for being here today. Thank you. Thanks. You can follow the show on Twitter at Noon Edition or join us on air by calling in at 855-0811. You can also call toll-free at 877-285-9348. So, Chris, I'd like to start with you. And if you can just explain to us, what is Pride? How did it come about? Well, um, Pride in general started as a protest in New York. Uh, it was the Stonewall Riots that started Pride in general. And here locally, uh, Indie Pride started back in 1981, and it was a dinner where people wore masks to go in on the circle at a hotel because they had never gathered together. They were afraid of being seen going huh. into the establishment. So uh, they went and had a dinner. The next year, they decided to have a picnic. And so they had 500 people in that first picnic. Uh, so Indie Pride actually continues that tradition, and we have a picnic every year. But um, Indie Pride uh, is a festival and parade which celebrates the LGBTQ plus community. We have music vendors, floats, uh, corporations, individuals, nonprofit groups. So it's not really a political event anymore? I think that politics are always involved in our community, but the primary function is to celebrate our history, remember our roots, and seriously, the, 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 the best thing that, is, uh, that occurs is people are together. And it's very uh, unusual for queer people to be together and to feel comfortable and safe. And so a lot of people come from all over the state that maybe this is the one time a year where they can be with people that are like them. Mm. Okay. How about, how about you, Jeanette? Um, I want to go back to, I think, the roots of pride, which is Stonewall, I think, was a culmination of many uh, riots and protests, the Black Hat, the Compton's Cafeteria, and so on, um, where people were resisting police brutality, where they were, were being abused and killed and imprisoned um, simply for being who they were. And so this culminated at the Stonewall riots, which was about resistance from oppression. And so those are our roots. And um, I think what we struggle with now uh, in pride is that no one remembers that. And it, sure, it is about, it, it's great to be able to celebrate ourselves. Um, it's great to come together, but also we need to remember where we come from and we need to stick to that. And so when we talk about corporations and pride, that's really where it gets very, I think, problematic and troublesome, which is that we are selling out this past um, in exchange for profits, in exchange for having better festivals, for better, better parades and that kind of thing. And so um, I think we always need to make sure that we're centering pride as, as a movement um, in that resistance to pr police brutality. Okay. And then, uh, John, how is Cummins involved in all of this? Sure. You know, I think at, at our core, diversity and inclusion are, you know, one of our core values and what we're really about. Um, you know, we have kind of stood up for doing the right thing and equality and diversity uh, for decades, um, you know, our J. Irwin Miller, one of our CEOs back in the 1960s, helped organize the March on Washington. You know, we got out of uh, South Africa during apartheid mm -hmm. because we stood up for that, despite 
the effects on our revenue. 1990s, 2000, we started uh, offering domestic partner benefits. So this is just part of who we are. We have employee resource group that, that started almost 20 years ago, uh, driven by our employees. So our participation and our support is part of our core values, but also driven by our employees who want who want this, who want to see uh, themselves uh, be treated equally. So we're we're you know it's it's just part of who we are. And and last year. We uh, participated in numerous pride festivals across the uh, country as well as across the world. Um, so we, we continue to be an advocate at the state house, uh, at the federal level for equality, um, and we're going to continue to do that. So it's great to be here today and great to um, you know, be a per- participant and be able to stand up and, and talk about what, why we're here and, and to you know, continue to press for equality. Does Cummins do anything during Pride Month or? Um, sure. Yeah. A- absolutely. We, you know, again, it's largely driven by our employee uh, resource group, the Pride Employee Resource Group. But we participate in the Indianapolis Pride Festival, the Columbus Pride Festival, as well as others across the country. We've uh, flown the Pride flag uh, at our corporate office building in, in Columbus as well. Um, we, you know, do a lot of things internally as well. Okay. So I'm curious, Janae, you were talking about, you know, making sure that you stay true to the roots of Pride. So how does how does Bloomington do that? How do you make sure that the Pride Festival here is still centering on how you started? Um, I think a lot of what we do is making sure that um, we're providing a lot of education about we, how we started. Um, when we're talking about Stonewall and these and these other uh, riots and protests, these were specifically uh, trans women of color throwing bricks at cops. And that is something that we, I think some people don't like to talk about, but that is our truth, and that's where we come from. And so providing education about um, who was really being oppressed um, 50, 60, and beyond years ago and making sure that we're still centering those people today is something that we try to do. So we have educational workshops um, through the festival. We um, make sure that um, when we have performers, they're still talking about these things on the stage because there are plenty of people to educate um, who come to festivals, um, plenty of, of, of cis heterosexual people who just are just coming for a good time. They need to understand why they're there. They need to understand that they are in a space that is not theirs. Um, and, and so I think that's a lot of what we try to do. Um, we try to make sure that the vendors who are are tabling at our festival are specifically here for our community. So if they are a larger business, for instance, that we know that that business is kicking money back to our community, that they are filtering it back into Bloomington, that they are contributing to Bloomington Pride, that they are contributing to other entities that are here to protect people. Um, You know, LGBTQ people face homelessness. They face, at at a rapid rate, um, a high percentage of us, a, a high percentage of people experiencing homelessness are LGBTQ. Um, we have uh, there is a genocide on trans women of color. There are all these kinds of things going on, um, and we want to make sure that the people who are investing in us are investing in us as a festival are doing so for our community as well. Mm-hmm. So, when they invest in the festival, is that more of what helps fund these organizations then throughout the year? Because you're not just talking about like a one weekend of the year, right? You're talking about all year. Right. That's correct. Um, we do things every week uh, of every month of every year. We have monthly community workshops. We have a film festival. Um, we are doing things. We have three safe space programs for youth, one for trans and non-binary folk, one for um, our elder queers. And so we don't have a membership. We rely specifically on community giving and and um, so people who are able to give individually, that is wonderful. Um, businesses and organizations who are able to give, of course, help us out a lot more. But we also want to draw a line and make sure that um, we are only accepting money from those entities who are actually giving back to us and aren't simply um, give, getting doing this as some kind of like stamp of approval or I fly my rainbow flag now, so I support you. And that's a serious problem in Bloomington. And it's a serious problem everywhere, I think. Hmm. I'd like to echo that, too. Um, you know, Indie Pride is um, a massive undertaking. Um, this year we had 50,000 people come. That's real data, real hard numbers. And it costs a lot of money. Um, I'm fortunate to be a paid employee, so I'm the full-time executive director. We had 60 sponsors from corporations, and I met with 98% of them individually to talk about 
What was their motivation to sponsor? Um, what are they doing in their companies to promote equality? Are they hiring folks? What is the percentage of their company that is LGBTQ, and what are they doing to improve it? And a few things were came from that. First, um, some companies uh, really needed some help. So I went in and did some training, and I worked with their HR folks that helped update their policies. Uh, the second thing is I told uh, about seven companies, no, I don't think that this is the right time mm-hmm. for you. And here are the steps mm-hmm. that I can work on you with uh, to to make it a right time. And the third thing is, uh, and, and I'm sorry, John, alluded to employee resource groups. And so back in December, we started at Indy Pride um, a gathering of representatives from all of these corporations to get together once every two months uh, to discuss what are they doing in their companies, what are their hiring practices, best practices, and how do you engage LGBTQ employees and educate allies. And so we have had a lot of success with that. We've grown from about 30 people to over 120, um, and we meet um, in a couple of weeks. So for me, there's a difference between corporate sponsorship of a Pride Festival and a company throwing a rainbow on something to sell because they're two different things. And the final point is that it means so much to employees who spend a a lot of their life in this company, to have their company say, yes, we support. We put our logo out there with supporting a festival or a pride organization. We organize a group to walk together in the parade or we have a vendor booth at the festival. That is huge, especially for those marginalized communities, the trans folks, um, people that might be afraid to come out at work. That That is so incredibly meaningful um, to have that support. So um, at Indie Pride, we certainly vet um, our sponsors. Okay, today on Noon Edition, our panel is discussing how corporations participate in Pride. And then we're also just talking about Pride Month. You can share your comments or your questions, 855-0811, or tweet us at Noon Edition. John, I, I want to ask you a, a little bit. When So you said it was back in the 80s that you first got involved, and I, I got the dates wrong, I believe. Uh, no, yeah, help me out again. <laughs> so, I would say the first kind of step we did was, um, you know, adding sexual orientation to our treatment of other policy. Almost, you know, twenty-one years ago, we also began offering domestic partner benefits in two thousand. Uh, we spoke out publicly at the you know house state house um, back in two thousand seven against some of the marriage inequality bills. We've done that in uh, Minneapolis as well. You know, we've developed uh, these employee resource groups, and it really is driven by um, our employees. And, and talking about the hiring practices, that is something that, that Cummins is, is very active uh, doing. We, we really value uh, the diversity of people, of opinions, of perspectives. We think that that drives innovation. We're working um, as an organization to really set aside biases that are naturally there and unconscious in hiring practices so that we can make sure that we're um, hiring the best and brightest, dis- you know, regardless of sexual orientation or race or ethnicity. Um, and that's, you know, something that, uh, you know, companies need to continue to push forward uh, uh, on. And we're going to continue to do that as well. But, you know, we're, we're vocal on issues like this because they are counter to our values. And we really believe that the diversity um, of perspectives, of opinions, of people really drives us forward and makes us more successful, not just here in Indiana, but across the world. And if we can influence uh, other suppliers and vendors that we work with, through our practices, through being vocal, then we're going to continue to do that. We think that's how you really uh, uh, create the change that you want to see. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious a little bit about that. Like how, do you, how do you weigh what could be any sort of political fallout or financial fallout from deciding to wade into these big issues? I feel like now, I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, but um, in Indiana, certainly speaking out with, about gay marriage and something you see a lot more businesses on board now but i don't even in the 10 years i've been here i don't think that's always been the case it it has not been the case you know like i said we were one of the first back in 2007 to take a public stand we did that because um it ran counter to our values and we're willing to step up you know despite 
despite the opposition, there was opposition when we started offering domestic partner benefits. There were um, you know people gathering and protesting out um, in Columbus in front of our headquarters. You've got to do things in order to create the change and really um, you know influence people. And and to Janae's point earlier. We've got to set the tone so that our employees really do feel that we're supporting um, their efforts, that we're behind them. It's not just about uh, flying the flag or, or, you know, displaying the colors. It's what is your company really doing. And at Cummins, the one thing that I've really been fortunate to see is that some companies' mission and, and vision and values are just words on paper. At Cummins, they're lived from you know, the CEO on down to every employee. So when we're talking about diversity and inclusion, you see it every day. You see it in the actions. You see it in the the policies we're creating and how we're trying to drive that at all levels through the organization. And when we're more successful, other companies see, um, you know, what we're doing and and want to, um, you know, replicate that. And as far as, you know, when we first took the stand, we, we thought there might be some fallout. But that was okay. We believed at our core that it was better for our business, better for our employees, better for recruitment and retention that we do this. And you'll see now that more companies are are joining these efforts because they, I think, see now advantages for it. But, um, you know, we've got to continue to stand up for for doing what's right. And, and, you know, Cummins will always do that when it runs counter to our values and counter to um, what we believe is best for our employees and our company. I want to uh, credit or commend Cummins for taking that stand in 2007 on same-sex marriage, but a lot of what I hear is really about profit, and um, that's a ser- that's really the, the core of this issue is that you know we're we're here to uh, recruit and we're here to make sure there's no brain drain, which is what we saw um, with RIFRA and um, other and other oppositions to um, legislation ab- about same-sex marriage. Um, you know, when Lily Eli Lily comes to the fore and Salesforce comes to the fore, it's really because they don't want to lose employees. Employees to other states, to other companies, right? And so that's really when they started to take a stand, and it became an easier thing to rally around. But I'm not really seeing any corporations who are taking a stand against legislation that is killing people, that is killing trans people, and like watching them be erased. No one reaches out about that. Like no one takes a stand on that. No one takes a stand on homelessness. No one takes a stand on addiction. And so there are. There is a whole web of issues that affect this community that simply I think many corporations don't feel is safe to tackle, and so they don't. And when it becomes more popular, then maybe they will, but um, I, I think that's a serious issue. I'm going to push back a little bit on that because in this past legislative session, we saw a really nasty fight about hate crimes legislation, mm-hmm. which was a real bill that was um, very quickly pushed through and excluded gender identity as one of the characteristics, which was a protected class. Uh, we saw Salesforce. We saw Lilly. It was the corporations that were speaking out, that was reaching out to the governor, both publicly and privately, and to legislators um, to in- be a holistic, inclusive bill. Um, it's the same thing with RIFRA. It was the corporations that were really pushing. Now, the motivation behind it, I think it's somewhat cynical to say that it's just for profit, when I speak to all of these corporations that sponsor Pride, the number one reason that they do um, sponsor is not for name recognition, but it's for employee support and retention. Um, they want to make sure that their employees feel and are heard and seen for who they are and feel supported. Um, and so I think that you can I, – I don't know the exact motivation, but I know that the people that I speak with are very sincere, and the people that I speak with are – who are writing the checks are not um, saying because they want to make sure that their bottom bottom line doesn't suffer. I think it's extreme just to focus on the bottom line and just on the profits. That is, I think, a driving factor, though. Mm -hmm. But when we're looking at corporations nationwide, no one is going to congressmen um, to to, to address these things. Maybe they deal with something in their state legislature, but we are watching our federal government kill people, and these corporations are doing nothing. So I think while it's great that there are sincere people kind of on the ground doing work, these corporations, Adidas, Bud Light, Listerine with their kind of rainbow uh, (laughs) mouthwash or whatever— what, feel oh, so fresh. Yeah. So what are what are <laughs> yeah. they doing? Um, what are they doing when it's not convenient? What are they doing when it's uncomfortable? And I don't see any of that happening. Well, I, yeah. I would argue that we not only advocate at the local and state levels, but also at the you know national level. Um, we've signed um, a couple different amicus briefs. 
um, you know, working you know, on efforts to uh, the, the outlawed um, gay marriage. I would also say that we're not looking at it at the bottom line. We're looking at a value thing. We're looking at it because of, you know, we do want people to feel like they belong. You can bring your whole self to work. And if we create that um, uh, feeling of inclusion, sure, we're going to retain more people. But we're talking about having people feel good in their community, safe in their community. We're working with, you know, uh, the city of Columbus to really create the most welcoming environment. That's not bottom line. But, but it, you know, the long-term effect is just good for the community. It's good for all people. So if, you know, long-term it makes our business stronger, that's a great byproduct. But that is not the motivator. Sure. I think that it's um – it is the constant struggle for those of us that organize and lead pride organizations that we do know our roots were a protest, a protest against police brutality, a protest against a large queer population. But for me, it is this is what we've evolved into are that we've we have achieved acceptance at some levels and there are other levels that we have not. Um, and so when we're talking about the genocide of trans women of color, when we're talking about um, I mean, I was in a meeting this morning and had a fight and for about an hour with some people that were um, straight, cis, white people um, who were so fragile and offended because we asked them to introduce themselves with pronouns, uh, which is something that's very common you do uh, in our community so that people who are non-binary, people who are transgender, um, know that they are safe and welcome. And these were people that were not... Um, ultra right-wing people. These were supposed to be our allies. And it was very um, heartbreaking. And so those fights exist, and, and we have to put up those those good fights. But anyway, I'm rambling. Mm-hmm. Well, we, I, I, this is a good point to, to get this question in from Joseph saying, isn't promoting LGBTQ rights while a good cause also good for business in terms of attracting employees? And why is there anything wrong with that? I wouldn't say there is. If the the end result is creating a more inclusive, uh, safe, secure environment, making your community stronger, then again, if the downstream, you know, is um, more employees or more talent wants to come to your company, great. But that's because you're creating the culture and the inclusivity that they're seeking. And that's what I talked about when you're really driving um, you know, to create a workforce that truly is diverse, you've got to make sure that you're doing it in the right way, that you're putting aside unconscious bias so that you can really um, get the pool of candidates you want. So, you know, we're actively, there, there's no secret that we're trying to get the very best talent and and retain that very be- best talent. That would be silly for us not to do. But at the same time, our values really drive how we do it. What we do, we want to do things with integrity, do things the right way. We want to create, um, you know, a diverse uh, population that drives us forward, that they feel that they can bring their whole self to work every day. And, and so that, that environment and that culture is real. And the more diverse, um, you know, employee population that you get, then you continue to attract um, those same people because they, 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 all, they all talk. That's how you get um, referrals, right? is friends of friends of friends mm-hmm. um, that tell you what a great company they're working for. So absolutely, um, if, if the byproduct is we're a stronger business because we're doing the right thing, hey, I'm all for that. Okay. And I think communities are often stronger when corporations do the right thing. I think more of the argument is that we can survive on bread and water, but we need more than that to thrive, right? We need more nutrients than that. So a corporation who's doing these things super, we need more. Right. You need to invest more. And so I think that's more of my point um, when it comes to corporations. Sure. Okay. We should probably take a quick break right now and then we have another half hour or so where we can dive into some more stuff. Today we are talking about pride and also talking about corporations' role in that. You can join the conversation by calling 812-855-0811 or toll free at 877-285-9348. We'll be right back. From the Milton Met Studio at IU's Radio TV building, this is Noon Edition on WFIU. 
WFIU News covers south-central Indiana and the state throughout the day at WFIUNews.org and on Twitter at WFIU News. You can watch unfiltered video of breaking stories on Facebook Live, and you can get a digest of all the day's top stories delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of the headlines, plus the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe now at WFIUNews.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. On today's show, we're discussing how corporations participate in Pride. You can join the show by tweeting us at Noon Edition or call at 812-855-0811. Our guests today are Chris Hanberg, the Executive Director of Indie Pride, John Mill, the Director of External Communications for Cummins, and the Chair of Bloomington Pride, Janae Cummings. Thank you all for being here. Um, I want to start by talking about the police and the relationship um, with Pride festivals. So, um, we were just talking about some of the roots of it with Stonewall and how that was really about protesting. And I know in New York there was an issue about whether police would be allowed in their Pride festivities. So, what's the, what's it like here in Indiana? Are they are police invited in Indy? Are they invited in Bloomington? So- um, in Bloomington, uh, police are welcome to attendance as civilians, of course. Um, there are plenty of queer people who um, work at police forces. Please come in your civilian clothes, off-duty, and enjoy community. Um, where, we, where we differ, I think, with a number of organizations is that um, we do not have police who serve as security. We hire outside security firms to do that, and that is because we receive a lot of feedback, especially in our community, and maybe it differs in other places, that there are a number of people who do not feel safe when they see uniformed officers with guns on their hips and mirrored glasses and the whole thing. And so the point of our Pride Festival is to provide a safe-feeling, inclusive environment. And when you have a large swath of people who um, are... Who, who identify in, in, in ways that um, maybe outside of the mainstream, they're non-binary, they're trans, they're people of color, um, they don't feel safe because there are other oppressions and other abuses that they're dealing with. And so when you come to a space where you want to celebrate who you are and you want to feel safe doing so, a lot of times uniformed officers is an impediment to that. And so that is why we have made that decision. Um, but no, we don't have an issue with anyone who is employed as a police officer who wants to arrive again off duty in civilian clothes and enjoy the day. How about in Indy? And so in Indy, and in, in my personal background is I worked with IMPD for 10 years as a uh, domestic violence sexual assault advocate. Mm-hmm. And so I worked with some amazing officers, and I worked with some not-so-amazing officers. But I also think that one of the reasons that I worked well with them is because I'm a cis white male and kept my sexuality to myself. And so I'm very cognizant of my privilege in interacting with police. In Indy, we struggle because we, we hear the same feedback. Um, we had an event called TransGlam where we had no police um, present as security. We had volunteers do it, and it was very successful, and about 500 people showed up. Um, we're transitioning to some of our other – we have about a, a week and a half of events. We're transitioning to some of those events being um, with officers welcome in civilian clothes, but using private security. Um, we are also legally obligated uh, with the parade to use police officers in uniform and at the festival um, with for every thousand people expected you have to have an officer there and so we struggle with that and and we ask them to wear their polo shirts um, rather than their full uh, police gear and we have lots of wonderful wonderful queer police officers but the the reality is that it it is an institution with structural discrimination, racism, transphobia, homophobia, um, and they have a lot of power over people that don't have a lot of power themselves. And that makes a lot of people very nervous that have been um, profiled, that have been harassed, that have been stopped for no reason. And so we try really hard to be cognizant, but also balance that with the, some of the good work that 
individual police officers, even some individual, um, you know, captains, majors, chiefs are doing within their department. Um, I personally train their, their new recruits um, at IMPD uh, for about an hour, which is really great given their training schedule, um, and talk about how to interact with our community. And so it's an hour training, but at the same time, it's a step that wasn't there before. You're, Chris, you were talking earlier about some of the struggles, and I wanted to get a little bit more into it. And Janae, of course, you can chime in too, allowing you know, corporate money and how that affects maybe not the admission to your events. So in other words, if the event prices keep going up, it keeps getting bigger. Um, I think Indie Pride had the same admission this year than last We're, year. We are committed to keeping that a $5 ticket, and, the, and, the, and we have uh, solidarity tickets available. So really, you can show up at the festival and get in for free. Um, but we ask that you do pay the admittance if you're able to because we want to make sure that it's not prohibitive. You know, when we look at, like, Stonewall and we look at the, the riots and the, and, and, and the way that we struggled for years, we – we try to get to a level of acceptance, and it is a festival um, which celebrates our whole history and community. Um, and so it costs a lot of money. Um, it costs um, over, I think, $600,000 to put that on. Hmm. Um, and so we have to offset that. Plus, when you have entertainment, we we worked really hard the last two years to make sure that our entertainment, um, our entertainers were representative of the diversity of our community. And so... Um, we wanted to have quality entertainment so that we could celebrate. So how, how do you str- – or what are some of those struggles talking with – and maybe not even corporate sponsors, but the local sponsorships in your cities in allowing them to be part of this or or not? Well, with, with all of them, it's – they, they have to reach certain benchmarks. Do they have inclusive hiring practices, et cetera? Um, and then for those that are not, I simply explain – your handbook does not include this. Your actual policies do not include this the way that we have heard from certain individuals, these things. So I'm happy to come in and work with you and update some and do some training, and we can see where you're at next year. So. It, does the same happen in, in Bloomington? It does. Um, we do a lot of extensive research. We have an application process, so you can't simply just sign up and register. You must go through the process, and we research you, and we vet you, and we talk to people and make sure that anyone um, who uh, passes through that application has been fully vetted. And so it's, I think it's probably similar to what Chris is saying. And when there are situations where we can't allow um, someone to participate, um, then we have those conversations with them. And that could be, well, why did this happen? I'm doing X, Y, and Z. And it was like, well, like here are other reasons. Here are other factors. Um, and so we make sure that we're very, we're very conscientious about that and, and take those kinds of things to, into account um, when we're discussing this with vendors. And there are plenty that we turn away. And um, it's tough because prices do keep growing. And we are a no-charge festival um, relying again on donations. So um, we raised our vendor prices by $25 and explained that to vendors. Like, we've had this price for a while. We're going up to $25. We provide you with these things. Um, this helps us continue to make a, a sustainable fest festival and they understand right because they get it and um, they want to be present and they want to be supportive mm-hmm. outside of the festival just with companies flying rainbow flags or having shirts or anything like that what what is wrong with that is it always wrong what could be better I don't think there's anything wrong with it okay. um, at its core. I think there is an issue. Some there are there are places that fly rainbow flags and then are hostile to queer employees. There are places that hire uh, hang rainbow flags and then donate money um, to to politicians who actively legislate against us. And so it is important. Um, there are also uh, entities that fly rainbow flags and are fine with um, maybe cis heteronormative lesbians, gays, and bisexuals coming in but are not okay with trans people being there, right? Mm-hmm. And so there is... Um, there should be a little gatekeeping there. Like, the fl- if, if you're flying the flag, you should be behind everything that that flag is for and not just this kind of, like, nice optic that you have in your window. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm curious about merchandise. Is it like um, 
you know, with the Susan Komen, the all everybody, everything is pink for right. breast cancer. Is it like that, where some of the money goes towards that. the cause? Yeah, I think it's turning into it, and it's troubling because um, even Indie Pride, we had several people use our logo, use our name without asking permission, and so we had to send mm-hmm. you know angry emails of what, why are you, do you feel it appropriate to do that? And I think that. Uh, especially downtown Indy, there's a lot of people wanting to capitalize on it, but not supporting the community. Yeah. And there are some that we that actively communicate with us, and there are some that don't, and we just have no control over it. Yeah, we see that here. We see that in Bloomington quite a bit. Um, um, businesses maybe creating a, pl- a pride shirt and saying, "Oh, where it? it's pride time," but like we don't. <laughs> Like, they didn't talk to us about it, and we don't see any kind of proceeds. We have programs. We have events. Like, we could – like, a, like 10% would be awesome, right? Or it's, you know, Pride is today. Come get a cup of coffee. Um, well, like it's that, it's that kind of, like, weird co-opting of something but not actually supporting in a direct way. And I'm honestly seeing that in some of our attendees, too, where – you know, this is still a queer celebration for our community. And if you are cisgender heterosexual and you're attending, um, you are there as a guest. And so you were there to show support and solidarity. And I received a few emails from, you know, angry moms because their kids saw some things that they didn't want them to see. And I'm like, I'm sorry that your child was exposed to that at a pride festival. However, this is a celebration of our community. And there are some parents that are fine with certain things. And if you don't feel that appropriate, then I invite you not to attend next year. So, yeah. So this isn't a festival like Taste of Bloomington or something. No, this where is we... not Taste of Gay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But this isn't necessarily something where you're just trying to appeal to as many people to get no. people there. And no, it's just that people are feeling more supportive. But also, I think that... Um, they want to be there to support their friends and their family. There are obviously those that come for the good time, but the queer community itself is feeling safer at these events and feeling um, a connectedness to each other. Okay. So, so I, I'm sorry. I feel like I'm beating a dead horse here. But with, with Pride, if, if folks use the name like H&M, if they sell Pride shirts, there's no organization or there's nothing that's trademarked that that money goes back to. There's nothing. They can, no, we don't have yeah. trademarks. They, yeah. can, they can make the conscious and good decision to give proceeds or to give a percentage to maybe their local organization. Maybe like if you're in Chicago and you want to give to Chicago Pride or something else, awesome. Um, that, that, but that's a choice they make. It's not as if you say Pride and it, dis, it distributes mm-hmm. to all of us. That would be amazing. And I really <laughs> encourage corporations to Identify service providers who provide actual services to the most marginalized community and choose to donate to them as well as to their pride mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, find the, the LGBTQ homeless shelter. Find the HIV serving organization. Find those that are working on homelessness. Um, so, yeah. Do you have conversations, John, about how you walk this line between support and, and pandering? Um, n- no, I don't think Cummins has. Uh, again, we're, we really are driven by kind of our values and by our, our employees. And, and we're there to um, definitely support, but really it's to support our employees who want to be there and, and create the, the sense of belonging and inclusivity. I understand that more businesses are, I think, getting behind it. I hope that, you know, it's not just – uh, going after a uh, bottom line or because it's trendy. But I, I also think that it may be a, that perceptions have changed. Like the, the, it's having an effect. The the, the net um, effect is, is changing um, societal views. And I think that's a positive. Um, totally agree that I think, um, you know, companies can do more. We can always do more as companies. Um, but we also have to, you know, balance. We can't go after every issue all the time. But we will definitely be guided by our values, guided by what's right for our employees, and make sure that we're doing the right thing. And I'm confident that, that we're doing that. And hopefully um, we are influencing others and we're helping our communities be stronger. We're helping them be more welcoming. We've got to create that for um, you know, not just companies to thrive, but to become a better society, a better state. Um, and, and that's really what it's about. So I was just thinking about, you know, 50 years ago, you know, New York City had a fight just to keep a gay bar open. And now here we are 
Um, there might be more straight people going to gay bars. Yeah. Um, Sometimes they're the majority. <laughs> That's why yeah. the gay bars close. Um, yeah. So what are the struggles, though, now? Because the more things change, more they stay the same. So what are you seeing now in 2019 that you feel is the struggle? I think, I think that especially uh, queer people of color, especially trans women of color, experience all of the major... Um, the, the worst things that could happen in life, you know, suicide, um, mental health issues, homelessness, violence, murder, uh, at much higher rates, domestic violence and sexual assault at much higher rates than their cisgender heterosexual counterparts. Um, I think that is a huge issue. I think that we have a generation of aging queer people who um, were not planning to live as long as they were, as, that, as they are because of HIV, because of um, all of the systemic problems within our community, and now they're getting to a point where maybe they did not. They don't have retirement. They don't know they what don't to have do. Healthcare. They don't have health care. They don't know really what to do. Um, I mean, those are just two. I'll let, mm-hmm. I think um, the key thing for for me I, that I see and in, in for Bloomington Pride generally is um, simply the legal erasure of transgender people. And as I've spoken many times today, um, the the genocide of trans women of color. It's these individuals kicked off our movement and we have left them behind, I think, as a community, not just generally involving corporations or whatever, but as a queer community, we have left them behind. And that is a shame. And there's so much, I think, complacency. Once same-sex marriage was a thing and we can be married now and we're just like you, all of these other issues, whether it's trans issues or homelessness or, or anything else, it's like, well, but we're married. I think so, the, the I think people got disengaged. Yeah. And... And, you know, whenever we talk about queer issues, it's always the forefront of people being murdered and and all of those things. And I really reflect a lot on this being a cisgender white person um, that you had in the 70s, 80s and 90s, a, you know, a generation of people that were experiencing AIDS and the, the lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, queer community it's not a community that we decided we were going to be part of. It was those on the outside telling us, well, you're all the same. And so we were all sort of pushed together. And, and I think for better or for worse, we've accepted that and we really care about each other and we stand up for each other for the most part um, or at least attempt to. Um, but we were all in survival mode. We were all being oppressed and you do what you can to survive when you're in that place, and we did not look out for each other as gay, white, cisgender people. And um, it's now time for us to step up for our trans and non-binary family. So why has transgender gotten left behind, and and what should be happening? I think they've been left behind because cis-heteronormativity is the goal. That was kind of the goal, I think, for... I mean, sometimes I struggle to call us community. We're more like a salad, like right. one of those dull bags of salad from the, from, from the store. But, um, you know, they did all this fighting, and then I think the movement kind of got co-opted, really, by um, cis-white gays and lesbians, and then AIDS, and energy went there, and so then we just... And then we got to um, marriage equality, and we have benefits, and it was just like we've arrived. And we are just like you, but we are simply in these queer bodies. And once we got to that place, I think that is when all of uh, the the people who live in the margins of our margins were simply left behind. And so that's where we are now, which is that we have a very complacent, disengaged, um, I think, majority that doesn't realize and maybe in some cases doesn't care that um, these other these other people um, aren't being brought along with the rest of us. Because you know what? You are different and you make my life harder. You make it harder for me to fit in at work. You make it harder for me to walk down the street because they're associating me with you. Right? And I would say that that is very real. Everything that, you know, from my perspective, that is what I've seen. It's not that people, you know, people wouldn't say I don't care, but they're also not going to go and protest, you know. How many pride is a protest? How many times have we had rallies at the state house with the same fifteen people standing outside, yeah. shouting to the legislators and to God and whoever will listen, and it doesn't do anything? Yeah. John, has the message from the employees there at Cummins changed throughout the years? Um, that that that's a good question. I I would say that because of our culture, because of 
our commitment to diversity and inclusion that the culture um, is just more accepting. It's more diverse, so it's it's more welcoming, and it's just part of who we are now. I think the the support for uh, things like pride among the employees has definitely grown, and I think that's a um, a because of our culture, um, because people understand, because people have um, have realized that um, you know we're we're all people. We we all share the, that human experience. You know, we need the diverse perspectives. We welcome it. We want everybody to belong. We want everybody to be here and, and be accepted. And that's really become pervasive in our culture. Um, you know, I'm grateful to be part of, of a company that really does um, and is committed to doing the right thing and, and c- creating that culture. Um, I, you know, it's, it's wonderful to be part of. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious. Janae, what do you see as as the next step? You've talked a lot about transgender folks being left out. So is that where attention should be being, being paid? 100 percent. I think 100 um, percent. I strongly believe that there can be no pride for some of us without liberation for all of us. And there are a great swath of, of us of who are not free and who have not been brought along on this ride. And so, no, I think that is that's not the next step. That is that's where we are. Right. We have to fight for this. We have to reengage. And um, because. As I've said before, our federal government is erasing people and not doing anything about the further erasure of people who are in communities. It's doing absolutely nothing about that. Um, In fact, it's supporting that, I think, in a lot of ways. So we need to energize ourselves and come together and, and fight for the people who we really have left behind the last, I think, 15, 20 years. How important is it to get folks who are not part of the LGBTQ community on board and also talking about these issues? I think it's vital. Um, I think you would, I think Chris would agree that um, it's important. I think what some people need to understand is that there's allies. Ally isn't a noun, it's a verb. Ally is something that you do. And so it is important that people who are not um, in the LGBTQ spectrum are talking to their family members, are writing their legislators, are doing their own activism that they are giving, and they are doing what they need to do to protect people because there are, there are more of them and they are more influential and people will listen to them, right? And so if, you know, I have straight colleagues who see the struggle and want to get involved and they want to help out of the goodness of their hearts, that helps us a lot. Right. We can't get we can't get to where we're trying to go um, without cisgender heterosexual people like being along for this. But I really want to stress that it's the job of an ally to lift up the voices Mm -hmm. of the community that they are an ally for. And so often we see whether it's the queer community or racism, racism, uh, that those um, people make it about themselves. And so if you see somebody that is being oppressed, the proper reaction is to not make it about you and about how traumatized you were. And and I have some feelings about this, obviously, when uh, we gave um, part of our transition to Indie Pride was giving LGBTQ serving organizations free entry into the parade while raising the price for corporations and companies to attend because we want to make sure that queer people are front and center in the Pride Parade. And uh, an organization contacted me that uh, was majority made up of heterosexual cisgender people. And they said, we just want to be there to help and support. Can we have a free parade entry because we do this, this, and this? I'm like, well, since you're an ally, what we really need are volunteers to staff the parade so that we need 30 volunteers. It's so hard to get people to do it. We don't want to ask queer people to give up their pride. Would you do it? And at first it was, yes, we'll do it. And then it was, well, we talked as a group, and we'd rather just walk in the parade. And I'm like, I ooh, I got feelings about that. I've got strong ones, too. I mean, <laughs> if you really want to support us at Bloomington Pride, for instance, volunteer. Like, yeah. we should be enjoying this day. We should be able to enjoy our film festival. We should be able to go and get education without having to do all the work and put in all the labor. Like, help us out, right? If you can't give, the gift of your time is a wonderful thing. The gift of your time and your effort and your energy, like, that's a fantastic thing for an ally to do. Also, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, especially if you are a community of faith. And a community is a faith are really trying hard to show that they are inclusive of our community by walking in parades and by having booths at festivals. That's all fantastic, but you have a body of volunteers. Please staff it. 
for we will work out a schedule so it's not a long shift and we get a lot of volunteers but please staff rather than try to insert yourself into it that's how you're going to show us that you support and care for us. Yeah, and I think related to Chris's point about lifting voices up, um, there are a lot of people who are screaming from the margins and no one is listening to them. Shine a light on what they're saying, right? Um, it's not just about, well, I'm saying this and I'm doing, I'm doing my alley work and give me this cookie because I've, I've done this for you. Um, if there are people, if there are activists who no one is listening to because they're not in the mainstream, you need to make sure that people know about them and you need to make sure that their voices are heard. And that also is allyship. So we only have about a minute left, but um, I want to give you the last word, Chris. We've talked a lot about things that corporations do that, that, aren't, that aren't great in supporting the pride community. Give us just a couple more that folks should be doing. To support the community, I think it is always about lifting up the voices. It is about calling out um, uh, homophobia, transphobia when you see it. It's not engaging in humor that um, degrades our community. And it's about teaching your family members and kids um, to love and respect everyone. Okay. We'll leave it there. That's all the time we have for today's WFAU's Noon Edition. I want to thank our guests, Chris Hamburg, Janae Cummings, and John Mills. For co-host Joe Wren, producer Binta Boutier, engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Sarah Whitmire. This has been Noon Edition. Have a great weekend. Edition is a production of WFIU Public Radio. A podcast of this program and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, Fiber Internet, Streaming TV, Home Security, and Automation in Southern Indiana. More information at Smithville.com. And from The Herald Times, featuring coverage of local news, entertainment, and sports. In print at heraldtimesonline.com and on your mobile device. And from the Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org.